We're uh, looking tonight at this passage in Acts 16. I want to talk about the power of perspective. Uh, One of the most important things about you is the perspective you bring to life, the way you view your circumstances, the way you understand your identity and your purpose. And that changes in a really significant way how you respond to the challenges that you will face. Uh, Whether you respond to difficult times that come along, with worry and despair, or whether you feel able to respond with worship and with prayer. And I'm convinced that it's going to be difficult for us to do all that we're called to do ourselves, all that we're called to do as a church, all that we want to see happen in this city, unless we're inspired by and empowered by prayer and worship. And we're going to see in this passage how a shift in our perspective might even help us to pray and worship in such a way that it makes a really significant difference to our lives. So the first thing we see in this passage um, is that your perspective actually hugely shapes the way you see your circumstances. And I don't know about you, it feels life is a roller coaster at the best of times. The last 18 months, it's been uh, the the biggest, highest roller coaster. Um, I, I once went on the Pepsi Big Max roller coaster in Blackpool. Um, I have a fear of roller coasters. I'm just being vulnerable with you all now. Um, when I was at, at the fair, at the um, I grew up um, and uh, just on the fringe of a council estate, and there was a fair that always came to the park near our council estate. And uh, I went there once with my friend Lucy, and um, I'll never forget that day because Lucy fell out of a roller coaster. And once you've seen someone fall out of a roller coaster. How many times people tell you it's safe? You never quite get that confidence again as you're rattling around the rails. And um, I went on the Big Mac's Big Mac's uh, roller coaster with my wife Beth. Um, I didn't want to go on it, but she wanted to go on it. And we were only going out. We weren't married at that point, so I felt like I had to go on it to show that I wasn't scared of roller coasters. And um, but they take a photo of the roller coaster as you're going around. And um, there was my friend smiling, my other friend smiling, Beth very relaxed, and me just kind of gripping on for the fear of death. And um, so life has been a roller coaster over the last 18 months in really uh, tough ways for lots of people. It's been a year and a half. And I think if you look at what's going on in our lives and what has been going on in our lives at the moment, um, it, it, it can be very confusing. And if your perspective is shaped by the circumstances you're facing, it's easy to miss the significance of what's going on and end up confused. Uh, Robert Cummings was an art critic and uh, might still be actually. And he, um, he was studying a painting by the Renaissance painter Filippino Lippi, uh, which is actually hanging in the National Gallery. Here's a picture of the painting. I don't know if it's going to uh, come up there. That's not it. <laughs> That's something else. But it, I mean, oh, there we are. And, um, and uh, it shows uh, Mary holding Jesus on her lap. And then you've got um, two saints looking on. And uh, obviously there's some skill on display. But, but every critic that had looked at this painting for decades and indeed centuries had said it was one of Lippi's poorest works of art because the proportions were obviously all wrong, Um, the perspective was out of joint, it just wasn't a great, uh, it's not a great example of his his skill really and critics throughout the decades were unanimous about this and Lippi looked at it and he thought, yeah they're right, that's just not a great, not Lippi sorry, Uh, Robert Cummings looked at it and said they're right, that's just not a great painting and um, he was looking at it in the gallery and he suddenly thought, 
wait a minute. Lippi never painted his paintings to be hung in a gallery. He painted them to be hung in churches. And they would be hung over the altar, behind the altar in a church. And he designed them to be viewed by people who were kneeling before the altar as they came to receive communion. And so in this gallery, Robert Cummings, like quite boldly, just kind of got down on his knees. And he looked up at this painting and suddenly the perspective was transformed. Everything looked in proportion and he suddenly saw the beauty of this painting which had been missed by art critics going back throughout decades and centuries. It only revealed its beauty to someone who was on their knees. Everyone else had missed it. It came alive to people who were on their knees in prayer. The right perspective was in a place of worship and prayer. And there are circumstances which each of us are facing in our lives at the moment, which are not going to make sense, which are going to be confusing, which are going to perplex you, which are going to, you know, relationships you're facing, difficult dynamics at work, things you're trying to understand and unpack, things about your calling or your identity and you're working out what to do about them. They're not going to make sense out of the context of prayer without you being on your knees. In this passage, look at Paul and Silas. They've done everything they've been asked to do. They've gone and they've told people about Jesus at great risk to themselves. They've incurred inconvenience. They've traveled. They've endured huge hardship. They've told people that Jesus is the Son of God. He died for your sins. He, raised to life. he was raised to life so that we might know eternal life. They've seen that good news transform many people's lives. They've done everything they were asked to do. They've done it well. It, it outwardly looks like it's gone well. And then what's the response? What do they face? What happens? They instantly face opposition. They're attacked. <laughs> you are here last week. You're in for fun. Who knows what will happen with this mic? They're attacked. They're arrested. They're beaten. They're severely frogged. And they're thrown in prison. They've done everything right, and that's their reward. That's the response that they face. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Um, it seems to be confused. You know, we felt like we were following God. We felt like we were being obedient, but it, it went the wrong way. I, I spoke up in a boardroom at work, and then everyone kind of distanced themselves from me. Or I took a stand on an ethical issue, and then people kind of backed away from me. I, I, I invited a friend to church or to Alpha and, and they didn't respond and now they're a bit distanced from me. I tried to be obedient to what I thought God was calling me to do and it feels like I just faced more opposition. And in those circumstances, you've got to choose. Am I going to let my circumstances shape how I see God or am I going to let my understanding of God, who he is, his character, what he has done shape the way I see my circumstances? I mean it would be very easy for Paul and Silas to look at these circumstances and to say, well you know we've been faithful, we've been obedient, we've done all we were asked to do, God must not care. Maybe we got it wrong. Maybe he wasn't calling us to this particular place. Maybe we should have kept quiet rather than trying to do stuff in this city. Maybe God let us down. But it would be very easy for them to respond that way. 
Or they could respond with a different perspective, which they do and say, look, a life following Jesus involves both blessing and battle, often at the same time. We know God is good. We know he is Lord. We know he is sovereign. We know he is faithful. We know that when he's taken hold of us, he's not going to let go of us. We know that nothing can ultimately frustrate his good purposes. If he can use a cross and a grave to save, he can even use this prison for his mission. We know Jesus. We know he hears us. We know that changes things. You see, your circumstances will either constrain your worship or they might even push you towards worshiping. It's the perspective that makes the difference. You know, they could say, yeah, we're in a battle. Yeah, we're a bit bruised. Yeah, it's been tough, but we're not going to miss this chance to give God praise. I find it fascinating that in this passage, the most likely reason they're awake at midnight is because they have been beaten. The pain of their injuries, the discomfort of having your feet in chains, not that easy to sleep. And you could say it's been a miserable time, been beaten up, been imprisoned, my legs are in chains, just going to sit here and sulk a bit, feel a bit sorry for myself. That would be entirely rational and entirely reasonable. But it's almost like they say, well, you know, my back hurts, you hit me hard, I can't sleep, maybe you shouldn't hit me so hard because I'm awake. What else am I going to do? I'm going to pray, I'm going to worship, I'm going to sing some songs, put your earplugs in, you know, my feet might be chained, but my hands are free, so I'm going to start putting my hands up and praising. You know, my, my back might be sore, but my mouth actually can still sing. You know, if you have the right perspective, even your pain can propel you to praise. It's hard sometimes, though, isn't it? Um, when I was, uh, actually, when I was studying here, uh, we took a whole load of youth away from the estate near where I lived um, uh, back home uh, to a youth festival in the summer. And um, lots of them hadn't been outside of the area before. They'd certainly never been camping in their lives before. So it's almost like one of these experiments that you probably should have filmed. Like they're like, what's going like cows, fields, tents, like this is crazy. And also most of them weren't Christian and actually they, were, they, they had no experience of the Christian world and very much on the fringe of the church. And so they found this idea of, you know, 5,000 Christians being in a field together, absolutely fascinating. And they were like, this is the perfect kind of experiment scenario for whether Christianity is indeed true. And they thought what they'd do is each day they'd come up with a different test for the Christians to face to see whether Christians were actually real about what they were saying. So day one, um, one of them, Jamie, was kind of like a, a genius, really. Like if you could just I mean, he was on the borderline between becoming a good or an evil genius. Like, he was kind of like, if you could just channel it the right way. But he hadn't worked out which way he was going to go. And so on the first day, he, he arranged for all his other mates to, um, to pretend mug him um, in the food court. So they're all there, and he was walking across. And then they came and mugged him just to see, like, parable of the Good Samaritan. Like, are the Christians going to get involved, or do they not really believe this stuff? And so eventually two Christians did chase them around before they turned around and said, oh, he's just a mate. Well done, you passed the test, you know, you, like, whatever you do, you know. And, um, and then the next day, there, there was a big field, empty field in the middle of the campsite. And so Jamie went for a slightly more subtle thing. He just got down on his hands and knees and started going like this. And, um, and eventually someone came up next to him and said, are you okay there? And he said, he said, yeah, I am. I've lost my contact lens. And they said, oh, I'm so sorry. And they got down next to him and went like this. And then, and, 
of Christians. So another Christian, can, can I help you? Everyone's look really helpful. Yes, I've lost, lost his contact lens. Within about 10 minutes, 50 people doing like basically a, a CSI forensic search for a contact lens which did not exist. And, um, and then after a while, Jamie just got up and walked off and left them. And there were still people joining for like half an hour saying, this apparently a young guy's lost his contact lens. And they were like, oh, let us help, let us help. And, um, and that week, Jamie became a Christian. And uh, one of the things I will never forget with Jamie is uh, the way that transformed him. And Jamie loved to worship and he loved to pray. And I can still see, still see his face today. Hands in the air in worship, beaming face, the joy of, um, the joy of worshiping and praying. And um, Jamie w- had a wonderful time you know, for a number of years. And, um, but then uh, I got a call at work a few years after that. And, um, and Jamie had died in really tragic circumstances. And I still remember getting this call at work and not, it was like, like this kind of just came completely out of the blue and trying to process it and just weeping and weeping at my desk at work, just thinking, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. And thinking, in a way, the last thing I wanted to do was to worship and pray. But I knew in my spirit, if I didn't, if I didn't do something, I don't know what would happen. So I just found myself just starting to pray under my breath at work. And then I kind of like was putting my headphones in as I uh, went back on the tube that night and just, just, just kind of, I just, I thought, I, I can't even sing, but like now, I can't even sing. Um, but at least, I, at least I can listen to these words being sung and that might stir my spirit. And then I had to go back to our church and, um, and speak uh, to, you know, all the youth group um, who were there. And, you know, it's one of the hardest services I've ever had to do in a church. And I said to them, look, at the end of the day, we've, We've all got a choice. And I really felt this is a choice that Jamie would have pushed us to had he been there to speak, which is that are we, are we going to pick up our pain and our confusion and walk away from Jesus? Or are we going to pick up our pain and our confusion and our questions and walk towards Jesus? And that's the choice we have when we face difficult times, when we face confusing times, when we don't know what is going on, when we can't understand it, when we do the right things, when we're obedient and then things seem to go in the wrong way. It's hard to worship. It's hard to pray. But it's also only prayer and worship that will get you through some things that you have to face. Some of you have had good years in spite of everything that's happened. You've been hugely successful. Had lots of joys. But sometimes it can be hard to steward that success. It can be hard. You know, success can be harder to steward than suffering sometimes because suffering tends to draw us towards God, whereas in success we tend to forget God. Some of you have had really tough years. But what I found so powerful about church is that we get to come together and worship together. And even if some of us are finding things okay, some of us are finding things hard. I think sometimes I'm coming in and I've got burdens, I'm finding it a bit difficult. Sometimes I'm not, but it's like together we can kind of support each other. And sometimes I feel like I'm carried by other people's worship and sometimes I feel like I'm the one worshiping. That's okay. See, one of the key things that helps us in good times and in bad times is demonstrated in this passage. The authorities in Philippi made a massive mistake, huge. Verse 24, the jailer 
put them in the inner cell and he put them together. He put them in the same cell. The enemy will always try and fight you one-on-one, but Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. They knew that. And I'm sure it affected their perspective. You know, they might be in a cell, but if you're with one other person, you've got church. You know, one can pray, the other one can say amen. One can sing a melody, one can sing a harmony. You know, one gets low, the other one can encourage me. There's something powerful gathering together and praying and worshipping with others. It shifts things. Sometimes I feel like, you know, it's very easy to become a little bit negative. And think, oh, I'm just on my own. It's little old me. No one else at my workplace. No one else in my college. No one else in my community. Maybe no one else in my family believes these things. I'm soldiering along on my own. You're not on your own. You are not on your own. And we get to gather together. Not just people here, but gather together. One church, one spirit. One body to worship Jesus, to lift his name high. And whenever you listen to worship, whenever you pray, you join with millions of people around the world. Your voice joins with their voice. And together we join with Jesus Christ, who even today lives and prays for you. Prays for you right now. Robert Murray McShane said, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. But distance makes no difference. He is praying for you. And when you pray, you never pray alone because your voice joins with the voice of Jesus. You're not on your own. Your perspective shapes your circumstances. And then your perspective can actually also change your circumstances. Paul and Silas are there at midnight. They're singing hymns and they're praying in the middle of the prison. And all the other prisoners hear them. And it's absolutely fascinating because I have been in quite a few prisons in my life. And if people are singing hymns at midnight, then people don't just normally sit there and go, oh, what is that like, what's that, before the throne? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that one, yeah, yeah. They don't do that. Prisons are quite dark places. If you sing hymns loudly at midnight in prison, things don't tend to end that well for you. But they're listening to them. They're captivated. Even the act of them praying and worshipping as a pair in the midst of that prison is shifting the very atmosphere in that prison. It's extraordinary. And it also changes the course of events. Walter Wink said, history belongs to the intercessors, to the worshippers. I don't know if, like me, you've ever thought, you know, I, I could make a really big difference to this world if I had a hundred million pounds. And if you've ever thought that way, I you, know, you know, when the Euro millions comes up, you know, I know I'm not supposed to do it, but maybe if I did it once and then maybe God would kind of, you know, you know in, his, in his wonderful economy, that would be the wing. To, and then I'd use that 150 million, save a little bit for myself, but the rest of it, I'd make sure, you know, 150 million, I could do a lot with that. It kind of opens up all this possibility. But the Lord of all, the sovereign Lord, who spoke the world into being, who sustains the universe by his breath, by his word, bends his ear to hear your prayer. 150 million? The Lord of all listens to your prayer. That changes things.
If you want to see a change, if you want to see a breakthrough in your workplace, with your family, in your friends, across this city, there is no more effective means than worship and prayer. God loves to work his purposes out through people who love to pray and worship. And as Paul and Silas worship, there's an earthquake. And you might say, you know, is that coincidence? Well, is it coincidence or providence? Happens at exactly the same time they're worshiping, in exactly the same place. And it's a very specific earthquake. It only knocks down doors and breaks off chains. And it's extraordinary. This, the doors are knocked down, the chains are knocked off, and no one runs. I've represented hundreds, probably over a thousand people accused of criminal offences, a number of whom have been in prison as I've been representing, a couple of whom have escaped from prison while I've been representing them. I've never met anyone who was in that situation who was given the option of slipping away quietly and didn't take it. No one runs. All the prison doors fall off. Everyone's chains come loose. Paul says, don't harm yourself. We are all here. We're all here. What's happening? Well, God's moving and they don't want to miss it. They're captivated, absolutely captivated. It's interesting. I don't know if you've ever experienced um, worship changing things. Uh, I, I was once doing, um, went through quite a difficult period at work. It was quite intense, quite forlorn. It's one of the only times in my life that um, a case was keeping me up. It was like waking me up in the night and I was kind of finding it quite stressful. And what I found I actually had to do uh, was for a few weeks, I would, just, I would just find somewhere that I could worship in the middle of the day. So just for like 20 minutes. So sometimes that would be just, just going for a walk from the office and I'd just put in my headphones and, um, and just worship and walk around and worship and do that under my breath as I walked around wherever I was. Sometimes I could find like a church that was playing some music during the lunch hour and I'd go in there and just sit there for 20 minutes and just worship or just an empty church somewhere. I'd just go in and sit there and pray and worship. And those 20 minutes in the middle of my day became like the most powerful moment of my day. I was like, I, I've got to do this because it's like I'm, I'm being pressured, I'm being shaped, I'm being formed by the environment in which I'm working. And I feel like I want to push back. You know, sometimes the world will push hard against you. Push back twice as hard in prayer and in worship. I find it fascinating. So they don't, they don't leave when the opportunity arises. Here they all stay. They're captivated. They've heard the worship. They've heard the prayers. They've seen the impact. They don't want to leave. They want to see what happens next. And it seems the jailer is captivated too. He's seen them suffer with dignity. He's heard their worship with joy and he's seen God move on their behalf and he knows he has to respond. Extraordinary. What can I do to be saved? What can I do to be saved? One of the greatest witnesses to the people around you in the world is the way you pray and the way you worship. All he wants to know having seen them pray and worship, is what can I do to be saved? I, uh, one of my friends, James, wasn't a Christian, didn't go to church, and um, he, his flatmate was a Christian, and uh, James was going through quite a hard time, and they had one of those very narrow kitchens, I don't know if you've ever lived in a flat share like that, where the kitchen is, oh sorry, yeah, after you, no. And, um, and they were just standing there looking at each other, uh, one afternoon, and James's flatmate thought, well, I'll gamble. So he said, 
James, can I pray for you? And, uh, and James was like, oh yeah, I know you, you, pray, you pray and you sing and stuff, don't you? He said, yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, I, I'd love, actually, I'd love that. It's been a really tough time. If, if you'd be up for praying for me, that'd be great. Um, but James had never been in a church, had never seen anyone pray, didn't really know what was going on. So um, he'd heard about it from his friends. So he thought, well, I'd probably have to touch him for the prayer to work. So James stepped forward and, um, and kind of put his arms around him. <laughs> and his friend was like, oh, he's giving me a hug. And, um, and James was like, is this how you do it? And the friend was like, okay, yeah, okay. And, um, and so he kind of, they had a hug together in the middle of this kind of little kitchen. And James said, uh, are you going to do it? And he said, okay. <laughs> and James's eyes were eyed white, so they're about this far away. And his eyes were wide open, looking at him like, is the prayer about to start? So his friend has to kind of hold him like this and pray into his eyes. It's probably James, and then James came on after he became a Christian, looks back now with like still sweat and awkwardness from this whole kind of thing. But he just didn't know. He didn't know. But, but he said that, that prayer, even the awkward in the middle of a kitchen, three inches away from each other, looking into each other's eyes, prayer, um, was really powerful. He said he felt this deep peace. And his friend had offered to pray for him. Made, he's like, he's going to pray for me. Yeah, I can't wait. And um, he said to him, he said, next time we do it, can I just hold your hands? The friend was like, yep, that's fine too, yeah. And, um, probably got distant each time. But, um, but it, it really makes a massive difference. And here it says, uh, you know, <laughs> what can I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord. And they, they gave him the word of the Lord. And then he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household, that salvation leads to joy. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And he does and he is. And that brings his whole family and they're baptized in the middle of the night, most likely people think in the midst of a prison. It's, it's extraordinary. The very place designed to keep people captive, God uses as a means of setting people free. The very opposition that looked like it might stop God's work is used to multiply it. You might think right now, oh you, yeah, it's easy for you to say it, Steve, you don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand my colleagues. You don't understand the people I'm working alongside. You don't understand how anti-faith my family are. You don't understand my, my friendship, how difficult it is my flatmate. The very circumstances which look like they might constrain you, your industry, your role, the way people react, the season of life you're in, that might be the very thing God uses to break through. You know, this family become, this family, this jailer's family, become the core of the church in Philippi. They're most likely the people who Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians to. God can plant a church from within a prison. He can certainly use you tomorrow, wherever he has placed you to call people home to Jesus, to change the culture in your workplace, to range up a generation who long to praise the name of Jesus. And as we worship, as we pray, we can trust that the Spirit is on the move, that the Spirit is even more interested than we are in revealing Jesus 
in opening people's eyes to see him, in breaking through difficult, complex situations. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you like to stand and we're going to worship? And uh, just as the back comes up, I just want to encourage you um, just to maybe put out your hands as a sign you'd like to receive something from God today. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. And maybe you just want to take a moment and say, Lord, I want to live a life praying, worshipping, why well, don't respond to challenges by backing away, but by saying, no, Lord, I, I want to see you move in this situation. I want to see you move in this place. And I want to pray and to worship until I see that come to pass.